Hello Vision Nation. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Jake Berkey. Jake is a Wall Street veteran and the founder of an AI company called Chatterbox. During our conversation, we covered what's been going on in the AI space leading up to the launch of ChatGPT. We talked about when we might have software that can replace humans. Also, we went over what people should do so that their jobs don't get replaced by artificial intelligence. In this episode, Jake gave me his thoughts on the drama happening at the company that created ChatGPT. We also spoke about his startup and the cool stuff they're doing at Chatterbox to help companies get unique insights about their customers. I learned so much from Jake and I highly recommend you check out this episode. Let's dive right in. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Vlad. Now, I want to get into talking about your company, Chatterbox. But first, let's give our listeners a primer on some of these artificial intelligence topics. Can you take us through what has happened in AI development recently? And what are some of the big milestones that you've seen in the industry? And also, how has the AI landscape changed in the past few years? It's a great question and beautiful to start off on. So I think we should just all take a step back and just realize that we've been living in a world that has been powered by AI for the past several years. It's only recently with the prominence of open AI that people have really started to discuss like, hey, what are some of the applications of this tool outside of the traditional realm? Now, I want to say traditional realm because right now we live in a world where there's uh, generative AI, right? So AI that can provide different outputs, not just necessarily responses to you know, inputs, uh, can formulate its own thoughts. Uh, a really great application for AI that we've been living with, um, and a lot of companies have been using is, you may have heard of it as natural language processing. Really just on a very easy to understand basis, natural language processing is passing information to a computer powered by AI that reads content, right? And does certain things based on the content. Unlike OpenAI's, particularly ChatGPT, um, where you're inputting information and then new information is being generated. I think that that was really like the big catalyst that kind of gave everybody the buzz and like, now, when we talk about AI, largely we're speaking about generative AI, which don't get me wrong, right? It is definitely worth having buzz about. Um, and I think too, right, we're, we're really seeing a lot of applications of uh, artificial intelligence. And that's largely because the costs to operating these types of either large language models or processing powers, right? A lot of those costs have really come down. AWS is a huge part of that. Um, you know, it, it's there's plenty of applications, right? Technology rises to meet the need, not necessarily the other way around from a commercial or, or personal use case scenario. Yeah, that's really that's a really interesting point that you brought up about the costs decreasing over time. Do you think that trend is going to continue, or are there specific things that are going to limit how much lower the costs can get? Yeah, I think that there's definitely a commoditization that will happen, right? Um, just like with anything, we initially have things that are really expensive, and maybe I'll date myself a little bit, but when flat screen TVs first came out as a prime example, right, that technology was super expensive. We're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for a flat screen TV that 
you know, today you can buy for a couple hundred bucks. I think that you'll see that trend continue as we become more efficient and deploying technology to rise to meet these high processing power workloads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's going to make it available to so many more people as well in so many different applications. And now looking to the future, what sorts of trends are you seeing in artificial intelligence? Where do you see this technology heading in the next five or 10 years? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question. Five to 10 years seems like a long time, especially given all the advances that we've had in the past you know, year. Um, but looking forward, I, I do think that there's going to be a real trend as we see the prices or costs for these types of technologies really decrease or come down. I think that there are going to be a lot of new innovations, new applications. And particularly, I think that a lot of businesses are going to be more inclined to embrace this new technology. Um, and those who aren't, in my opinion, will be kind of left at the dust almost. And the b- reason behind that is because there are so many different pieces of either business or processing that could largely be automated. However, you know, the, the cost of creating the automations and or the actual output is probably less than ideal. I think we're going to see a really big shift in how those technologies are put to use. And I kind of equate it to, right, a lot of people kind of approach this with a degree of skepticism that, hey, AI is is a buzz type thing. It's a it's a kind of like a flash in the pan, right? This is just something new that, that people in Silicon Valley are excited about. And I get that. Healthy degrees of skepticism are great. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we're at the kind of fundamental crossroads right at the turn of the of the 20th century when we talk about industrial revolution i think that there's a cataclysmic shift that we're going to see in how we engage and how companies actually think about how we should process or handle certain problems uh, ai will will stand head and heels apart from how we've done business uh, historically and we're already really seeing that in various different industries today Recently, the head of NVIDIA was talking about how they use today and have been using AI to help them build new processors, new components, and that they couldn't do it without AI. And I think we'll see a lot more businesses look to incorporate AI into their operations, their uh, design functions. As we see it advance, I think there will be more applications for this technology. And it's amazing to see how far reaching it is. So many different industries can have applications for AI that would really help them improve productivity, um, help with innovation. Just the other day, I saw this article, you might have seen that as well, talking about how creating new materials, which is very labor intensive when you have humans do it. Um, they're now using AI to do it. And it's like creating all of these different materials, like molecules that that can yes. be it can have huge impact. Like, you know, maybe the next superconductor at room temperature is going to be generated or created by AI, at least not the molecule itself, but just the methodology yes. of it. Yeah, I think we probably read the same article. And I do think there are going to be huge applications for, to your point, right? Speaking about molecules, and I'm by no means a scientist, but you can really see the application for science heavy, um, such as like pharmaceutical applications or different drug therapies. I think one of the really key separating factors, and we'll put like we'll put um, you know we'll put biases aside, but 
but I do think that AI and the application of, of certain large language models will approach certain things without the paradigms or preconceived notions that we typically as humans may approach a problem, right? It doesn't have a, a bias on like what it learned in school from this professor. It, it's just going to take, you know, 50,000 professors insights and meld that all into one approach. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Uh, how would you, there are various definitions for AGI out there. How would you define AGI and how close do you think we are to actually seeing a company develop functional AGI? Yeah, I, I do think, so just let's start with a definition. So, um, you know, AGI, I, I'm thinking here just to kind of create a little bit of an example is conceptually how we might learn, um, you know, this is, this is really computers getting to the point and, and we're not at that stage just yet or quite yet, but how we approach and how we learn and ingest information it is really going to be kind of replicated in a machine or in a type of software or application of technology. Um, what that means from an application standpoint I think is really interesting. There are a lot of pieces that are positive and negatives, pros and cons to this type of technology. Um, But I do think that we will see as maybe in the next five years, we're going to see AGI really kind of take it, take a, take it on for itself, right? It will start to get to the point where we can deploy these types of things, um, this type of technology in applications that we probably don't even really conceive fully today. That could be anything from, um, I'm thinking about medical field applications. I'm thinking about um, various different, um, you know, data intensive type operations that otherwise need or historically have needed, you know, entire workforces of data scientists, data analysts. These types of things will be able to think for themselves and be able to problem solve and troubleshoot. Again, going back to the theme of like without paradigm. I think that there will be an approach and, and an outcome that will be really revolutionary in the way that we kind of, you know, employ and use technologies to assist and enhance our daily lives. Wow. And so you think even in that short time frame, there's a good likelihood that we'll have something where it's essentially an AI that would be able to learn itself. So you give it a task, you say, okay, your task is to do this. And then the AI will do whatever it needs to do, take the steps that it needs to take, learn from mistakes, kind of learn from feedback from the human maybe. And yes. you're, th- you're seeing this sort of thing on a, on a short uh, time scale. I, I do too. Yeah. And I think from a short time scale perspective, um, we have to think, I, I don't even necessarily, cons- I don't look at it from the problem of like, do we think that technology will will you know, create that fast. It's, it's more, I look at it from the other side of the equation, which is there are so many applications, use cases, everything from like, you know, big government to gigantic corporations who have money, who are seeing this as an opportunity to either reduce their operational footprint, to create better experiences for their consumers, or to open up and unlock an entirely new marketplace. Like, when we're talking about make, I mean, like at the end of the day, the technology, yes, it, it's it's exciting, it's great. The big part is, is like there's real application and real dollars behind that. So the risk and reward of trying to fuel and funnel and be the first adopter, your valuations for the businesses are going to be off the charts. 
I do think that that is going to be the primary motivator for fueling the research that's necessary to actually make that happen, right? Like at the end of the day, it is really nice that we would have this to benefit all mankind, but more than likely, it'll be a consumer application first that will have tangential, uh, you know, implications of making our lives better or, or more uh, fruitful in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Going with that train of thought, do you think that this new technology or if AGI is created by a company, would the biggest companies benefit the most from that? Or would it be more democratized and you'd be able to have startups that could license this technology and benefit from it? How how do you see it playing? I mean, this is just all hypothetical. It's hard to say, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are around that. Well, I so... In my eyes, or at least what I hope, and, and this is, I'm going to draw and quote from like an economist uh, article from several years ago. Um, I'll, I'll quote that later. But to answer your question, I, I do hope sincerely that there are smaller companies more in the startup realm that do kind of become like these, you know, trendsetters or people that really set the pace uh, for this technology. And the hope is, right, that Again, we're talking about unlocking a vast fortune of reward. Obviously, the road to that reward will be strewn with like, you know, failed, failed endeavors. Um, but once unlocked, I think that this is going to be a major player in the space of, of capitalism and commercialization across the globe. And to that end, right, I, I hope and sincerely hope that, that they're able to kind of, I want to say, shift the landscape. Right now, um, technologically speaking, right, large companies, Microsoft, Amazon, are able to gobble up and consume these types of small upstarts. And that's a good thing, right? Because there is benefit to having these small upstart companies being well-funded, right, to make the journey all the way to uh, unlocking that reward. Um, but, But there is something that is a little bit fraught with having these mega large technological companies that will consume and or acquire these types of technologies and then have an incredible advantage due to their infrastructure, which will make their moat, economic moat, so the ability for other upstarts to come and upend their business, it'll make their moat miles wide. Um, And I think that that will, without getting too much into it, you know, that's going to really bring on a lot of calls for additional regulation. The additional regulation is going to potentially push those businesses into a much more operationally efficient, right? Because they're going to A, either try to, to the best that they can, avoid skirt around or change their business to be regulatory light to the extent that they have to be regulatory heavy. Um, we will see them in encroach in other areas, right? Um, so I'm thinking about like pharmaceutical, financial, other areas that have typically they've not gone into because the risk reward trade-off of building up their infrastructure is is not in their scope right now. But I think that there will be a shift once they get to that, you know, inevitable size where governments, entities, regula- regulatory bodies will look to kind of rein them in. So I think it'll it'll come with a a healthy degree of regulation, uh, but that's probably a few years down the road, I would imagine. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like your answer there. Uh, So I wanted to also ask you, I was at this uh, AI-themed panel discussion. It was a few months ago, and one of the presenters was this AI researcher. 
And he discussed emergent properties, which seemed like a really interesting area to explore. Can you tell us a little bit about what emergent properties are and what are your thoughts on those overall? Yeah, so uh, emergent properties. So let's just kind of um, set the stage here. So when we're talking about emergent properties, really we're talking about the output of artificial intelligence and emergent properties would be something that would otherwise be unexpected as an output. Um, I like to think about it, and I was reading um, several different articles here this past week, uh, and you could think about it as like, we have a preconceived notion as to how things work. And we think that in nature, right, that a lot of things are predictable and or something that could be forecasted. And I'll use a weather analogy just because I think it's probably most helpful to illustrate a point. Um, but we may expect, right, snowfall and we think, oh, well, it's just, you know, frozen precipitation. However, the actual snow itself or the outputs, right, each one of those snowflakes are going to be entirely different. One will look different than the next. And the cool thing is about emergent um, kind of properties is that it's the understanding that we have these really vast, large language models, such things that power chat GPT that will kind of make connections based on the corpus or body of content that they're trained upon. We'll make connections and we'll have outputs that maybe the designers had not anticipated or responses that the designers or architects did not anticipate. Um, so what does that actually mean? So talking about like, oh, well, maybe there could be a, a dash more of creativity in the output than would otherwise be projected or assumed to be within the realm of possibility for that large language model, which that's, that's why we kind of see these, like, you know, the, these different causes for concern about like, wow, is AI going to be able to get to this stage where, you know, we're not going to be able to forecast the output. Now to the contrary, I, I was reading a couple of pieces about, well, emergent properties, are these things actually unexpected or are we actually looking at these large language models through a lens that is set up to kind of like highly score different outputs in a way that would otherwise make them seem as if they are unexpected? Mm -hmm. um, there's a really great, I think it came out of the Stanford lab for artificial intelligence, where it spoke a little bit more about Maybe these aren't necessarily um, unexpected outputs, but are more so that we're actually using the application of these metrics in a way that would otherwise suggest these are unexpected, which I thought was a really curious, again, I'm not a researcher, so I'm not 100% sure on, on the math and the science behind the, the scoring, but it was kind of curious to say, well, maybe it's not actually outside of the realm of expected output but maybe we're just not using a good enough measuring stick for this technology just yet. Uh, that, that's a great point. I haven't uh, heard anybody else mention that or think about it that way, um, that we're just not, I mean, this technology is fairly new. So we still, I think humans or researchers haven't really understood how to properly think about it yet. Right. Exactly. And I do think, hey, look, we're, we're kind of, it seems like we're learning along the way. And I say that kind of half in jest, right, that this is all just one big experiment, just like the rest of, uh, of everything. Um, but it was curious. And it did kind of lead me to think like, okay, maybe this isn't as, uh, you know, disastrous as, as some may paint it out to be. 
Yeah. Now, shifting gears a little bit, you know, lots of folks are having their careers affected by AI. I mean, whole industries really are being transformed. And it is a little bit scary for people whose jobs can now be done by ChatGPT, for example. So I wanted to ask you, what sort of advice would you give to someone whose career might be affected by AI? And I guess, what is a good strategy for people that are doing white collar work today, for example? And what can they do to prevent themselves from getting replaced by a computer? Yeah, I, and I think there is a, a really big cause for concern, and it's and it's justified, completely justified. I think um, just speaking from a leadership perspective from a larger company, um, there are definitely applications and businesses are 100% thinking about how they can change, automate, or otherwise um, create an AI model to do something that is exactly what you know they pay people to do. And I, I will say this with a word of caution. If you're listening to this or, or you're reading these articles and you're thinking, well, my job can't be, can't be automated, can't be changed with, with AI, I, I would really caution you to kind of take a step back and, and think about the advancements in technology how quickly technology moves, and also the fact that we have to look at it just from an economic perspective, right? Remove the fact that you believe that you are irreplaceable because at the end of the day, where when you work for a company, you are replaceable. Um, and you, from an economic output perspective, are just another cog in the, in the wheel, as, as sad as it sounds to, to, to quantify and, and put it like that. But um, so what does that mean? Uh, when we're talking about like, hey, well, if I'm worried that my job could be automated away, what can I do to maybe stop that from happening or change the way that that um, this this may all transpire? Um, so a few things. One, I think there's always something to be said for individuals that are standouts and could say, hey, you know, boss, person, manager, owner. Um, I've been really interested in this space, and I think that there are some opportunities that we may look to enhance or otherwise optimize um, our approach in the business. Let me walk you through a couple of things. Um, pointing out that, yes, this does come with a cost, and yes, this will actually change the workload of some folks, but we're not going at it from the approach of removing people from the actual business itself, right? We're not talking about getting rid of jobs, but what we're talking about is shifting low value work, otherwise viewed as time intensive, busy work, or, you know, things that you just have to do that provide really little value in your day to day, shifting those things to being automated. Why? Because your time is more valuable doing the higher economic value output activities, right? So I'll just walk through a very brief example here, but let's say that you're in the billing department, right? Bills come in, you are working on a ledger, and this is what you do all day. Bills come in, bills come out. But what you do at the end of every week or at the end of every month or at the end of what have you, right, there's some sort of reconciliation or something that takes a sampling or something that takes um, a higher degree of interaction with your vendors or the people who you have accounts receivables for right? Automating or supplementing your day by having the system focus on helping you either A, automate or B, do it better, faster, um, can free up your time to 
provide more value, reaching out to some of the other vendors, renegotiating contracts, things that you want to think about is like, what is something that I can flex my expertise in, get rid of the busy work and really focus on providing more value. Now, when you approach it in that lens, right, you're trying to try, you're trying to take command of how AI is going to impact you and it's not going to replace you. What it's doing is helping you kind of focus on creating more value for the business, the brand, your own company, what have you. This is just one example off the top of my head, but you know, approaching it in that way is, I think, a, a much better proposition than kind of sitting idly by and hoping that you don't get replaced or you know, maybe getting blindsided and thinking that you were never going to get replaced. And then one day, you know, that, that day is today. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, and I guess it's just about taking AI and using it as a tool and trying to shift away from doing low value tasks, use AI as a tool that will minimize your time on those low value tasks. And instead, then you can focus on higher value tasks that would take a long time to automate. Like you mentioned, like negotiation with a supplier, for example, would be, I think, Potentially, AI maybe could do that one day, but it'll be a while before we get there, hopefully. <laughs> it, 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 exactly. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, that's that's really the core thing of it. If, if you are in a repetitive, highly repetitive jobs or jobs that are what I'll call is like low skill, meaning it's like, hey, we haven't built out a system just yet or it's a very manual process and you know is otherwise just something that we have to do, those jobs are going to be the first ones that will be replaced. Um, and I do think that there's a serious consideration for a lot of leaders to create a situation where there are jobs for either new entrants to the marketplace or individuals that, you know, are valued to the company in other ways that need still some sort of gainful employment. I think AI, when put to kind of considerate application, will have space and will make those employees' lives easier. Uh, and will also increase the returns for the business owners as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And Jake, what are you most excited about coming out of this space right now? So the speed in which the technology is is um, is really coming out is is breathtaking. I, I just want to like pause and and just consider that you know every day um, larger language models are being created. A lot of those are available for the common person through either a website called Hugging Face. If you haven't been to it, so it's a really great area for learning a little bit more about large language models. Um, and I'm also really excited for the changes in hardware. And I know that this may sound like a little nerdy, right? But the changes in hardware and what I mean specifically are processing power. Um, are really going to change the way that, that technologies interact and that we interact with technology. Um, you know, we're trying to always get to this, you know, point of like, hey, we want to be able to move faster. We want to be able to process more. Um, the leaps and bounds that if you think about it, probably in computing power, for the past maybe year, especially with like NVIDIA coming out with a lot of new high value processing and like AWS kind of working in partnership with NVIDIA. I mean, we're talking about processing powers that for the past like 50 years, probably all put together, right? Like, I mean, it's just the vastness of capabilities and, and we're just really kind of like 
just starting. We're really just scratching the surface of like what we can do from a power perspective for everyday individuals, right? What does that mean? That means you're going to have an entirely shifted approach in how you consume not only information, but how you consume products, how you interact with things on your daily life, um, how we change individuals' interactions with computers. I, I really think that that's like a really exciting part and probably not as, as sexy as, um, you know, the actual technology of large language models. But I do think that that's like the bedrock of, of what makes it, uh, you know, able to go, able to, able to function, able to operate. It's definitely the foundation that everything else is going to get built on for sure. And um, I really want to hear your take on the whole drama that happened at OpenAI recently. And for our viewers and listeners, OpenAI is the company that created ChatGPT. And for anyone not in the loop, basically the board of directors recently fired the CEO but there was so much pushback from investors and employees that Sam Altman, who is the CEO, was reinstated like a week after. So he was fired. A week later, he's back at the company. What is your take on the situation that happened? And what are your thoughts on key person risk at AI startups? Yeah, so I think so if, if you look at like some of the press releases from OpenAI, a lot of the concern was around the lack of communication or lack of transparency. And when we reflect back on like all the things that have transpired, let's just appreciate that this also was a great example of like lack of communication and lack of transparency. This like really strong whipsaw from, hey, you're here today, gone tomorrow, we're going to replace everybody and we're going to bring you back. I mean, if I were an investor in that, I would be seriously concerned about like the lack of foresight. Um all the things that transpired, look, I'm sure we're going to be reading some tell-all that somebody has written, right? It, hopefully in the next maybe, you know, few months or, or a year in some sort of book form. Um, but I, I really do think it's it's a fascinating example of um, OpenAI's board for whatever reason, um, you know, unbeknownst to us, if there were ulterior motives or, or just plainly on the surface, the commu- lack of communication or transparency, Um decided that Sam Altman needed to go. And with that, right, you have this phenomena that's like this, you know, personality, this kind of like leader that is the company and not the other way around. Like, right, you you have this person that has such a dedicated following and has impacted enough people to where they're also willing to stand on the chopping block. And what is a company, if not all of its employees, right, I mean, how would you ever on earth imagine to replace an entire company a CEO from one day to the next, right? It would definitely spell doom. And like, it's a weird position, especially for like investors like Microsoft, because they've invested so much money in open AI to only have it be wrecked from within for a, a very unclear reason certainly gives you that kind of like view that Hey, we need to we need to get in there, exert some influence. We need to you know try to steady this ship because not only is our investment going to crater, but right we we want to make sure that this technology comes to us right and not like to somewhere else. Um, key person risk is a really this is a really great example of a key person risk. So for those of you who don't know, right, what happens if, for example, the person who is the leader in this instance, right, Sam Altman, is no longer able to function in the role 
as CEO. Now, it could be for a number of different reasons, but let's just, you know, kind of keep it vague here. We're not putting any any hexes on anybody. But you can imagine, right, that like we have a person who is very influential in the space who otherwise has a really dedicated following. They're not there tomorrow. What is the company? And I think that's something now that a lot of startups in the space, a lot of board of directors, a lot of investors are probably wondering, like, how do I mitigate that type of risk? What are the plans and contingency plans for situations such as this, if we need to get rid of this person, or if we need to kind of like stir things up? I really think that's probably given a lot of concern. You'll see that more when we get these like high flying type technology companies. However, a lot of technology companies, if you want to just think back to like companies that have replaced their CEOs for one reason or the other, Some of them end up fine. A lot of them end up into the graveyard, straight into the graveyard. Um, Those are serious considerations. And I think although we would have lost OpenAI if, you know, for whatever reason, everybody quit, there would have been somebody who stepped in right away. I mean, the market would have been filled. There would have been a momentary imbalance and a lot of trepidation, but it it would have been filled, right? That's that's the economic reward of it all that, that would have filled that void. Yeah, and, and even the kind of hunt for talent at OpenAI when everything was in flux, you know, you had Salesforce saying, okay, we'll kind of match all of your salaries, exactly. all of your comp stuff will match it. And you had other companies also wanting to to get some of these really smart people that are working on AI. So exactly. it, like yeah. you said, it definitely it would have been filled. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, uh, Wanted, I want to talk about your startup, of course. So congratulations on your successful product launch on Product Hunt for your company, Chatterbox.ai. It's great to see that. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to start Chatterbox and how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so thanks first and foremost. Uh, the Product Hunt launch was, was really a wild experience. Uh, a lot of folks, a lot of buzz about Chatterbox. It was really, really a, an awesome experience. Um, so the, what brought me to the idea, um, I, myself, uh, much to the chagrin of my, you know, physician enjoy the cigar every once in a while. And I, I think one of the things that is, is really challenging for people who enjoy this hobby in particular is there's a wide array of various different tobaccos, different regions that grow tobacco, um, different manufacturers, and when you're shopping online, which, you know, has proven to have like the most reasonable prices, especially in New York City, with various different taxes, um, you're really just kind of off on your own. There's not a really solid way of identifying what you might actually like. So what you end up having is all of these experiences where, you know, you're, you're talking about middle of the road, you know, cigars or middle of the road experiences. And it's, it's just kind of disappointing to say the least. Um, part of the fun, kind of disappointing. Uh, so the idea came as like, what if I could distill all the information about, you know, cigars in particular, particular brands, offerings, lineups? What if I could distill that down into one kind of package when somebody comes to a website and they don't know exactly the brand or the the, the you know, style that they want of, of smoke, meaning like, you know, they want a, a darker uh, Maduro type wrapper 
or maybe something different, maybe a different varietal, um, how can they find that easily, right? Um, and that's really kind of what gave way to having some sort of AI assistant that can help with recommendations. It can also help build that brand awareness and that kind of loyalty to that client. Um, and really, that's kind of what what spawned the idea is really kind of filling that void that would historically have been filled when you walk into kind of like a cigar store or a cigar shop. Not everybody has access to that. Not everybody is in the same journey, right? So this really makes it something that is approachable. It's easily deployable. We're talking about a few clicks and you can have something up and running on your website that would provide recommendations, you know, bolster client engagement. And then the real differentiating factor, I think, is that you can actually quantify the sentiment, the topics, you know, the amount of traffic that you're getting for any interaction that you have with any of your clients, which quite fairly is a, a big value right now. A lot of players in the marketplace offer a some sort of AI chat or AI agent type service. But you as the business owner, as the website owner, don't get a whole lot out of that other than like mm -hmm. knowing there is some sort of support. It's hard to quantify mm -hmm. what the effect actually is of your service that you're offering. So that's mm -hmm. where we stand apart from, from a lot of our peers. Oh, okay. And so just so that the audience uh, has a, a clear picture, I guess, basically, let's say I own a cigar website and... Um, I have all these different cigars, but it's hard for somebody, like you said, if somebody goes on the website, it's hard for them to figure out, okay, do I want more of a, a bolder kind of flavor or something more light? And so what your product would do is it would be a chat interface that would be trained on all of the data that this business owner has. And then the, basically the chat interface would would able to recommend things so i'd say oh you know i tried uh, this type of cigar and i liked it can you recommend something that's similar but a little bit lighter is that is that the general idea there yeah general idea absolutely so you would just come in tell it what you liked what you didn't like and based on the content and information that that website or business owner had put in then you would get an outcome that would be presented to you it was like hey maybe you would enjoy this cigar maybe this would fit your your specifications, flavor profile, size, whatever it might be. Um, and it's just something that's like readily accessible. Could be, you know, open up a whole new world of different, you know, experiences for you as the, as the consumer. And uh, how, how intensive is the training process? Because I imagine, you know, many businesses out there have tons of data on all the products they carry. Uh, what does that process look like? Is that something that's really difficult or is that just kind of, you know, you just quickly upload the files and that's it? Yeah. So um, that's one of the beauties of this product. So we have a couple of different ways that you can, we'll call it train your assistant. Um, and one of the easiest ways is just, we have a drag and drop interface. So you would literally say, Hey, well, I have all of these product descriptions that are maybe stored in a PDF or, in a Word doc, um, you can literally just drop that into the user interface, so within Chatterbox. And what it'll do is it'll actually chunk through all of that information, and that will serve as like the corpus for anything that you want it to be. So like in the use case of a cigar recommendation, you upload all of the inventory of whatever type of cigars, the size, the flavor profiles, 
and that will serve then as the basis for what kind of recommendations the virtual assistant will make. Now, what's what's really neat is it doesn't even have to be a file. Let's just say you're like, you know, Jake, I have like uh, another great example is like, right, I, I sell books. I have thousands of books, right? I don't have a description in a Word doc uh, that would otherwise take me forever to compile. You can copy your URL and just drop it in there. And we actually will go into your website and pull all of the relevant information. And that will be there for you and for your consumers. It will know everything about your website. It'll know your about us story, your location, your office hours, your hours, your phone lines, your website, or your email addresses, um, your best-selling books. Like everything that you would need, as long as it's on your website, would be readily accessible to to anybody. Oh wow, very interesting. And so, let's say you know I have a website that sells books. Can and I'm implementing Chatterbox. Can I actually kind of create a bit of a cost, custom prompt if the goal for that specific quarter or that month is to sell a specific type of book? Can I create a prompt saying, you know, um, provide recommendations that kind of lean people toward accomplishing some of those business goals? Is, is that something that's possible to do? Yes, absolutely. So let's just say, keeping with the book bookstore example that you have your your book of the month or your book that you're you know interested in selling or maybe even it's 10 books that you're interested in selling you can build out those prompts you can build out that data set you can say hey whenever you know give somebody the prompt when they first open up the chat that says hey tell me a little bit about our rewards program or tell me about the book of the month and what will happen then is based on whatever context you've provided about the book of the month or the rewards program or your book club that information will be relayed then to that person. So think about too, right? If it's a sign up or some sort of link on your website that you need people to kind of go to, can also include that as well, right? So you can direct people to those pages, really tries to make it a seamless, at the end of the day, it's about creating an experience for the person who is using the chat to kind of really resonate with your brand and find it easier to engage with your business. Like at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to accomplish here for everybody. And so you'd even be able to customize it. Certain brands are more, you know, they cater to a younger demographic, other types of brands cater to a specific kind of a niche person. And so you'd be able to customize Chatterbox to really speak the language of whoever is going on the website. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe a good example is like, think about, um, you know, if you had a, a baby store or baby clothes uh, line or, and then maybe you have some sort of really fine machined parts, like two separate businesses, right? One that's catering primarily to mothers or expecting mothers, the other one catering to engineers, right? Uh, two very different uh, communication styles, different different jargon, um, you can create and otherwise have a corpus or a body or content, um, whether that be something on your website or whether that be a PDF or a Word doc or some sort of spreadsheet. Literally, you can drop those things in. You can also change the way that the system will respond. You could say, hey, please provide, you know, when people ask a question, super friendly, really casual responses. Um, you could also say to the opposite effect, right? Provide really professional, tightly polished, um, you know, I- industry specific responses. 
um, that would otherwise make people feel as if their, you know, their needs are being met just by sheer interaction with, with that, uh, with that service. That's such a great to be able, it's so great to be able to do that. That, that customization is so important because I find sometimes I'll go on a website, they'll have a chat box, right? And you go on it and you just know that it's, it doesn't feel personal. You know, it's, it, it doesn't match with the rest of the website and there's sort of that disconnect. So being able to make that change is, is huge. Yeah, I think we're really seeing the, I mean, like certain studies will show that the amount of interaction that people have with chat, AI powered chats, directly related and correlated to the degree in which the chat service seems more approachable, more human-like. And the interesting thing is that you have that control um, within Chatterbox to make that as personable or as we'll call it as reserved as you'd like based on what you think will resonate most with your clients. And the cool thing is, is it's not just limited to one chatbot. You could have multiple chatbots, various different parts of your websites, whether it be the order page, whether it be the landing page or the sign up page or about our blog, like literally it could be all separate things. And each one of those areas could be different, could be customizable, and you could also have the data you know, available for all of those different chatbots as well. Hmm, that's great. And so one thing that you mentioned that I found really curious is uh, you talked about how when a customer goes on a website and they're interacting with this chat box, they kind of let their guard down a little bit. Like they might say things that they wouldn't say to another human being. So if you're getting that data, you can really get a better understanding of what your customers are thinking. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. more about that? Yeah, I can tell you just from a firsthand experience. So uh, we had mentioned a product hunt launch. And for those of you who don't really know, Product Hunt is a website for uh, upstart you know, tech companies predominantly to gain exposure to a broader set of users who are interested in new technologies. Um, one of the really fascinating things was, right, obviously I had uh, chatbots on my website um, and people engaged with those. And what was really fascinating was not to know that they were supported in their journey from like landing on the page to signing up. But the feedback that I got was like, you know, very, very unvarnished, meaning people were very direct as to what they were expecting, what they didn't see, what they wanted to see and what they were expecting. Right. And the cool part is, that I had that window into the insight with those people, right? If I wouldn't have had a chat, let's just say that I have a really incredible tech offering. I have no way of knowing or hearing people, right? No chat, no chatterbox system. I'm going to see that they hit the website and that they navigated away. That's it. I don't, I don't get any more data points from that interaction whatsoever. Right. Um, but with that chat bot, right? So I have Chatterbox here. It's on the website. People come, they navigate around, they interact with the chat bot because it has a little pop-up, says, what can I help you with? And then they tell me. And it's like really, it feels very like, you know, extraordinary. It feels like I'm sitting on top of like uh, a mountain, just like watching all these people kind of go about and hearing their thoughts. Um, and that's really something that's cool because I can take that, information and I can put it back into my own product and change the offering 
on a much faster iterative cycle than you otherwise would. And that can be applied to any business. So like going back to the bookstore analogy, right? Like um, think about like, I think that your book of the month club needs more variety, right? Maybe different genres. I love murder mystery. You guys haven't had a murder mystery book in your book of the month club, right? Like I have a blog and I have 50,000 people who love murder mystery books. Like you would never know that. And that could be a partnership opportunity. That could be like, you know, there are so many opportunities to actually, when you stop and listen to your customers, that, that you're going to be blown away by the amount of information that people are giving you for free, right? That they're coming and interacting and giving it to you. And like, it, it's totally up to you to use that to cater to your clients. And that's what's really an awesome value that, that you get from Chatterbox. It's a huge, huge value there uh, because thinking about it, the frictions are so low. You can hypothetically say, well, somebody could write an email, but then they've got to leave the website, go to their email, write out an email, find out where to send it to, where's the contact form, all that stuff. Whereas here, it's right there. They're already asking about different products. And so it's easy for them to provide any additional feedback. Absolutely. And, and to your point about friction, right? Sending an email, someone still has to read that email, right? Someone still has to respond. Like, how many times have you interacted with a website and you're like, I'm going to send these people an email because you are so upset and then they never respond or they take like 16 days to respond. And you're like, who is this person? Right. That's not, that's not great. I mean, we have this opportunity to really create amazing engagement with, with website visitors. And like, if you, in my opinion, if you have a website and you're not doing something, working with Chatterbox or working with a, a company that can help you gain insights into your clients, you're just missing, you're missing a lot. Like I, I can't quantify obviously for everybody's business, but like, just stop and think, right. You want to hear what your people are saying. That's why Yelp is such a popular platform, Google reviews, right. Just think about getting that in real time. And then also trying to give them a response in real time to their questions, to their problems, mm -hmm. really talking about saving a relationship, converting them to a client or converting them to a customer offering them something that they can't get on other competitors' websites or through their businesses, I mean, is a really key differentiating factor for your offering. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and Jake, so looking ahead, what would you say is your long-term vision for the company? Where do you see things kind of grow from here? Yeah, so I think that there's a, I mean, we're just scratching the surface here today. What I would love to do and, and what we're kind of migrating towards is in my opinion, it's not just enough to get that information from your prospective clients or your clients. It's something more than that. And by quantifying all the results, by creating some sort of matrix of having like their topics of consideration or areas of concern or interest, what I would say is at that point, what we're going to look to do is shift towards having a website takes that our software offering that takes that information from your website and recommends different actions for you. And those actions could be everything from changing the layout of your website to expanding or contracting product offerings, to raising your price, to lowering your price, right? Different things that would otherwise not necessarily be um, readily accessible or, or, you know, readily uh, aware for, for people who are, I mean, like as a business owner, you have a lot of different competing interests. Mm 
things that can make your life easier, such as a software that would tell you, hey, Vlad, look, you got a lot of people complaining that your prices are too high. Do you want to change them? Right? Things of that nature. And then taking it one step further, and this would be a degree of like automation that we talked about, and sorry, web designers, but potentially taking it one step further in making those changes on your behalf, right? Um, so actually changing your website, changing some things, doing A-B testing, see which website layouts are more appeasing or appealing to your customers. And you just coming in and saying like, yes, let's do this. No, let's not do this. Uh, and then being able to see like what was the actual input uh, impact of, of those changes, I think is really where we'll end up seeing this go. You see that in certain areas and in different technologies, people are kind of getting close to, hey, you know, website, you know, a lot of people just like business owners just want to help their clients. They want to, you know, make a good experience. At the end of the day, unless there's like some sort of super specific reason for a web website being laid out, as a business owner, you want your clients to have a great experience. You want that great experience to translate into more sales. And like, that's the, that's the game. So if you can do that on an automated basis and it'll optimize for that experience, I mean, I think that that's a real slam dunk. Oh yeah, for sure. That would be huge. Especially as you mentioned, doing some AB testing there as well. So the software has a specific goal. Okay. We want to increase sales and then it can implement AB testing just to figure out what works best with this specific niche audience that the business has. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's going to be a really, really great value to unlock for a lot of businesses. And that's what we're planning on is like the next phase, right? We'll we'll continue to increase the offering in Chatterbox predominantly and then offer these types of services, um, you know, going forward. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Jake, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a great deal from our conversation and I'm sure our listeners and viewers are really going to appreciate it as well. Um, I wanted to ask, where can people go, chatterbox.ai, where can people go to connect with you? Where can they go to learn more about Chatterbox um, and anything additional that you'd want to share with us? Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me on. And, and I hope that everybody got a lot out of this. I know that it was really fun for, for us to, to connect and talk about uh, this, this space. Uh, in terms of going and finding out more about Chatterbox, as you had mentioned, chatterbox.ai that's c-h-t-r-b-x.ai um, and i also want to just kind of offer up something right is that everybody who's listening here today i've created a coupon code i'll give it to vlad so he can post it as well but it's going to be wsv for wall street vision and then 2023 it'll be 50 percent off all plans for two months. And I did two months particularly because I know that there are going to be a lot of ambitious people out there setting up their New Year's goals, saying like, I want to start that business. And I, you know, think I could use a software like this. Um, So you can use that at at checkout for any of the plans that we have. It's free to create a a chat bot. So you can just go to the website, you can create one for free. uh, And you can try it out for yourself. That's great. Thank you so much, Jake. And I'm going to have I'll have a link to Chatterbox. I'll include the promo code there. So everything is going to be in the description of this podcast episode. And just once again, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks, Vlad. Thanks all.